Oh, good day, you gammy panhandlers. Welcome to episode 33 of the Blind Boy podcast. I know my British listeners have been waiting fervently for this episode because you get to hear an Irish person say 33. And you like to laugh at us when we say that, don't you? 33. Well, there you have it. It's episode 33. Colonial pricks. So, last week's podcast, there was a fucking phenomenal um, response to it. There was, people really, really loved it. You fucking send me a lot of messages and tweets. And last week's podcast was about performance art. And about democratising performance art and explaining why performance art is has value. And why it's not just... Arty farty up its own ar- up its own ours bullshit, and a lot of people were really grateful to be honest because it it made me realize how how little people know about art about high art we'll say and how much they'd like to know about it and ultimately as well how fucking difficult and inaccessible it is to find any source that attempts to democratise and explain and make simple uh, highfalutin arty-farty art which A is a good thing that people were like wow I enjoyed that but B it's kind of uh, damning and annoying that there's a hunger out there to learn about art and that the information isn't available and this is shit because art's very important for society and if vast swathes of the population think that contemporary art is valueless and pretentious then it means it won't have value in society it won't get funding there'll be no interest to fight for art when it loses funding and that would be a terrible terrible thing Um, if I may quote Winston Churchill or at least paraphrase him and this is the only time you'll hear me paraphrasing this prick but during World War Two, when London was being bombed to shit, one of Winston Churchill's advisors came to him and said, we need to close down the museums and the galleries, keep them safe, shut them down, and also divert those funds to the war effort. And Churchill snapped at him and said, then what the fuck are we fighting for? Which is uh, the one thing out of Winston Churchill's mouth that I agree with. Okay? I also agree with the cigars that come out of his mouth. Cigars can be nice occasionally. Did you watch that fucking Churchill film, did you? Pile of shite. Fucking nationalistic nonsense. I think I did a podcast on it, did I? I think I mentioned it in a podcast. Christ. So there's fairly big positive news in Ireland this week. Um, As you know from previous podcasts... I was uh, mentioning the repealing of the Eighth Amendment in Ireland, essentially to legalise abortion. Abortion was, I love saying that, abortion was illegal in Ireland. And as a result, uh, it was not a very compassionate or sensible place for people who can get pregnant. People were having to travel over to England to access abortion, and it was very unsafe, very inhumane, 
and it was criminalized, which is not that that is not the condition of a modern country in a western democracy but the people of Ireland got out and voted overwhelmingly to repeal the eighth amendment so fair fucking play to you if you got out and voted yes okay you're on the right side and um yeah, just fucking fair play to everybody who, like, I've been talking about it a bit, and I did a small bit to try, no, what, what did I do? I used my platform to kind of boost a few signals, okay, I, I did the minimum amount that you could do, I used my social media, but there's people out there who tirelessly gave their fucking, every moment of their lives for the past few years to repealing this amendment. And, you know, fair play to those people who went out and did this, those activists who from the start, when nobody was listening, gradually screamed and shouted until they were actually listened to. So fair play. Um, To the politicians who kind of came out at the last minute and rallied behind <clears throat> behind a yes vote fair play to you okay um again there's a part of me that doesn't want to say fair play because repealing the eighth amendment is what you should be doing anyway to be honest do you know so giving someone a pat on the back for some for a politician a pat on the back for something they should be doing is um i don't know how that sits with me but fair play to you I'll say it anyway, in the mood of it. And to the political parties who voted for a yes in Ireland, that don't think that that means that the people who supported Repeal the Eighth are necessarily now going to support your party politics. That's not how it works. You did the right thing for one issue. And what this referendum has shown particularly with young people who came out overwhelmingly to vote, that there is now a very political, socially conscious youth in this country. And if you want the support of these people, getting behind repeal isn't enough. Okay? What are, where are your other policies? Where do you stand on un- universal access to health care, education and housing for every citizen regardless of their economic status where do you stand on unions you know workers rights where do you stand on privatizing industries that should be in the hands of the people okay take a look at that shit and then maybe you might have the support of this the people who got out and voted for repeal okay don't think you're getting off the hook, basically. You neoliberal cunts. And of course, that doesn't mean that I'm completely assuming that everybody who voted to repeal the 8th is necessarily um, left-wing. I'm sure many a centrist or even a conservative got out and voted yes, because it's a sensible, compassionate thing to do. But I'm, spe- I'm speaking specifically about the young left-wing. That's what I'm talking about. 
Um, so what, what, what I want to kind of talk about is, so a lot of my friends were very heavily involved in the Repeal the 8th movement. And I was chatting to them the past few days. And feedback I got from one or two people was, yes, it's fucking fantastic that the 8th has been repealed. But a few of them were feeling kind of, not sad, right, not sad, but kind of a a, a frustrated emptiness over the past few days because this 8th had been repealed. A sense of, um, oh fuck, what do I do now? Now obviously there's loads to do. They don't have access to abortion in the north of this country. Um... When abortion is now illegal, is it going to be safe? You know, is it going to be legislated to be safe? Is it going to be legislated to be free? We don't know that yet. But a few bodies of mine were kind of going, yeah, um, yeah, it's brilliant and everything. It's just it's fantastic. But I feel a sense of, I don't know, I just feel a bit down. And if one or two of my bodies are saying that, then that to me would suggest that it's more common than that. That there's quite might be a few people in this country who dedicated themselves very much to repealing this Eighth Amendment over the past couple of years, who are currently feeling um possibly a bit low this week. So if you are feeling that way, um I just want to point out that that's completely fucking normal. And I want to point this out in the interest of your self care. And your mental health. And that's what this podcast I think is going to be about. Not necessarily specifically people who were activists or worked towards repealing the 8th. But for anyone. Um, If you spent the past two years like really, really working on repealing this thing and a lot of your your online discourse or conversations with family was around how you felt about this and then subsequently like a lot of people who were trying to repeal the 8th were very much attacked online and then not only were you attacked you became part of a community with a shared goal and a shared purpose and now you've reached that goal it's over right it's the eighth has been repealed. The goal you wanted has been repealed. Like I said, there's more steps. But that goal of the eighth has been repealed. And it's a normal thing, okay? It's That's called existential anxiety. And it's what happens when our sense of self and our identity gets kind of tied up in that thing that we are doing. And there's a part of us, when we dedicate ourselves to something, right, it can be anything. It can be trying to repeal the 8th, or it can be building a shed out the back garden, or it can be doing four years of college, right? When it's over, when it's done, even though you've achieved that goal, you can often be left with the feeling of, wait a minute, why am I not, why, why am I not over the moon happy? Why am I not... Why do I still feel a little hum of emptiness or loneliness? Why are all of my internal problems not solved? I thought this would be the case. 
and it's perfectly normal. Now, this is a hot-button topic, so I want to clarify that I am not so privileged or facetious to suggest that repealing the eighth, which is the, you know, the health care of the pregnant in Ireland, the life or death situation, that that is as the same or as important as building a shed or getting a college degree. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say on a broader human level, when we as people, right, get involved in anything that demands our full kind of attention and that has an end point, point that has an observable end point and a goal, right? When we attach ourselves to a goal, that's what I'm speaking about in broad human terms. And I also want you to trust in me as a listener that I, I come at shit from a place of compassion. Um, I try not to be facetious, you know? So if you are someone who gave all of themselves to repealing the eighth and really, really getting stuck in and achieving the repeal, I would ask you to have a sense of awareness about it. If you have spent the past few days feeling a bit low, Obviously, it's been very draining, but when we do these things, like when we aim for a goal, in our minds, consciously, we're aiming for that specific goal, whether it be building a shed, repealing the eighth, going to college, right? In our heads, that's the specific goal, but in our unconscious, what we're actually looking for is happiness, Okay? I will be happy if. That's what the process is. Once this shed is finished and I'm standing back looking at this shed, your mind is saying, I can't wait to see that shed. But your emotions are going, I will be happy when this shed is complete. I will be happy when I finish this degree and I have my degree in my hand and I'm graduating. I will be happy then. And you might be momentarily happy in the ceremony, but then you're left with, Oh fuck what now? And you're confronted with existential anxiety. A sense of no longer having a purpose. And because the happiness was in the journey. Now, not everybody who... I'm not saying necessarily the journey of repealing the eighth was a happy one. But it was certainly one that had meaning and purpose and community. And... All of these things, they communicate to ourselves emotionally as a kind of happiness, a sense of purpose. It's the opposite of purposelessness. Do you get me? Now, if you're thinking, Jesus blind boy, are you saying that repealing the eighth does not bring happiness? No, it brings justice, equality, all of this stuff. Of course, that should bring a degree of happiness, a degree of happiness to the country. It brings a huge sense of relief to the pregnant people who need to access abortion. It brings a sense of relief to to you to know that these people are going to be looked after better than they were last year. These are all things to be happy about. I'm speaking about on a deeper individual human level to reflect the complexity of the human condition. Okay? External events do not bring what we call inner happiness, you know. And like I said, I'm bringing it up because a few people said to me, the eighth has been repealed. 
uh, why do I feel a bit kind of bored or empty this week? It's perfectly normal. It's part of being human. It's called existential anxiety. It's grand. Don't be feeling guilty over it, you know. Um, And if you're somebody listening going, no, I feel fucking great. I gave my heart and soul to this and got the repeal and I feel great. Then fair play to you. This isn't uh, this isn't directed at you, but it's just a common thing. Any time we achieve a goal that we've worked for as humans, any time we achieve a goal, often there is a sense of emptiness accompanied by "I thought I would be happy." I experience. I would experience. We'll say existential anxiety when I'm involved in a, a large project like we'll say writing my book you know that's the, the last my first book that I wrote that was a year of my life every single day working really hard very stressful same time fucking loving it enjoying it and the saddest moment of that entire process is when it finished not only when it finished when I had the book in my hand and was getting good reviews good feedback and I felt empty and unhappy so what I did is I reflected on this emptiness and I said what's going on here I have my book it's done should I not be over the moon why was I happier when I was doing the book and the reason is is that there's no meaning and purpose in having something already done um, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that one of the biggest illusions of being a human is this idea that happiness is a thing that we can fucking reach through external events no matter how noble those things are and it's not happiness is something that happens in the here and now but we continually confuse ourselves into thinking that any process that we can give ourselves, give our all to that has an observable end point or a goal, we confuse ourselves into thinking that that end goal will bring happiness. It's an unconscious confuse, confusing, you know. If if I can, if I only get this career, I will be happy, Do you know. Oh, when I finally get to buy this house, I'll be happy. When I get this car, I'll be happy. This is the human fucking condition, and. We chase happiness all the time and are ultimately left with a sense of disappointment when the goal is reached. And I say this as somebody who has, like, I've genuinely achieved childhood dreams, you know. Um, I grew up wanting to be a fucking artist, wanting to be a writer, a musician. And I've achieved these things. I mean, I suppose the big one for me, because I was, I was young, I was in my early 20s horse outside like I'd worked so hard since about 15 16 to hone my musical skills uh, you know to look up to my heroes who were songwriters and producers and to finally make a song that became the biggest thing in the country that nearly brought X Factor to its knees I was on all the fucking papers I had technically achieved a dream and was left with the most terrible feeling of 
unhappy emptiness and a profound guilt over it because I was young too and I didn't know. I was looking at myself on the paper. I was looking at myself being the talk of the country going, why am I not happy? Why did not this not bring happiness? And I didn't understand it. I'd achieved a dream and it did not bring happiness because it doesn't bring happiness. It just, uh, it can't. Happiness can't be attained in, in that way. You know, it's happiness isn't a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. Happiness is the journey towards the rainbow. I mean, we can do all these things to, we say, reduce causes of unhappiness. Like if your financial situation is a cause of unhappiness at the moment, you can do many things to, well, assuming you can. If you can, you, you, you can do things to make your financial situation better. All that does is remove a source of stress. It doesn't necessarily bring happiness, even though our brains tell us, I will be happy when. Do you know? If you're in an unhappy relationship and you then get away from that person and you think to yourself, I will be happy when I break up with this person. Yes, you remove causes of unhappiness and stress in your life, but it does not bring happiness. Nothing brings happiness because happiness is not something that can be reached ever. It is a state of, it's a here and now state. So if you're one of <clears throat> one of my listeners who, and I know a lot of my listeners were involved in repeal activism, and this week you're just feeling a, a little hum of uh, emptiness or being drained, this podcast is for you, for all the fucking brilliant work you did, but to bring into your awareness and for you to have a bit of self-compassion that it's okay and it's normal and... Don't self-flagellate with guilt, because that w- that's what we can do. And if you're going, I'm fucking thrilled. I I don't feel any hint. I'm not down. I'm not drained. This is brilliant. I feel great. Then more power to you. You obviously have a, a very healthy relationship with your sense of purpose and meaning. And brilliant. But some people don't. And... It just kind of breaks my heart thinking about people feeling a bit low when they gave so much and achieved their goal. It's for everyone. Look, this is a very human thing. We all give ourselves to a cause or to a project and think this goal will bring happiness and it doesn't. And our life is a continual cycle of little disappointments that don't make objective sense because goals have been achieved and it can be quite confusing and it doesn't really have to be that way so I'm using this as a springboard to talk about a psychologist by the name of Viktor Frankl and Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning which uh was written in 1946 so it should have said a a person's search for meaning rather than man's search for meaning 
So it's a person's search for meaning. A human's search for meaning, we'll call it. So Frankl would be one of the founders of existential psychology. And where he d- d- differs from... Like he would have started off uh, very much into Freud. And Freud felt that life is a quest for power. Frankl asserts that life is a quest for meaning. That con- feelings such as contentment and happiness are... They come from a human having a sense of meaning and purpose in their life. And this is what can lead us into this circle of uh, emptiness when goals end and searching for a new goal. What makes Frankl's work so profound is the conditions under which he uh, came about his theory. In 1942, he was living in Vienna. He's a Jew. And he was a young doctor. He had a new bride. Very, very happy life. And the Nazis took him. The Nazis took his wife, his dad, his brother, his mother. And sent him to a concentration camp. And Frankl lived in a fucking concentration camp. In Bohemia. And everything Frankl had worked for up to that point in his life had been immediately stripped away his family gone um, he had a manuscript his life's work just thrown away by the Nazis he didn't even have his name anymore he was a number his personage and humanity had been taken away and in the concentration camp I mean we all know how fucking terrible they were it was daily labour, um, people dying all around him, and you didn't know whether you were getting fed, because the Nazis didn't really feed people in concentration camps. Uh, a lot of food had to be gotten via barter. So, what what Frankel had was the, the worst possible conditions and life that a human being could possibly have, an utter hell, where his sense of self and his his life had been stripped away. This was complete and utter rock bottom. And from these conditions was when he started to develop a profound theory on the meaning of being human. What Frankl started to notice around him in the concentration camp is the prisoners who kind of gave up hope and, and and lost kind of meaning were the ones who died the quickest these were the ones who starved the quickest the ones who just completely gave up but the prisoners who despite extreme conditions and extreme suffering still managed to find some type of meaning were the ones who survived Assuming they weren't shot or completely starved, these were the ones he found who tended to actually survive and keep going. The ones who were able to find some degree of meaning despite how horrendously terrible the circumstances of their existence were. 
As dark and absurd as it sounds, Frankl said that suffering ceases to be suffering the moment it finds meaning. And he embraced suffering and he embraced his freedom to react to it. And for Frankl, what this meant was instead of, of looking at his surroundings and going, I'm surrounded by death, I could be shot at any moment, I don't know where my bread is coming from later on that day, he focused on thinking about one day getting free from the camp and writing a book or lecturing about his experiences. Or he thought about his wife and... You know, maybe he he would when he found himself despairing, he viewed it as, well, how how what would my wife think if I was despairing? Maybe I'll persevere for my love of her. He found meaning in that. In the most horrendous situation, he managed to find a sense of meaning, and this led him on a daily basis to survive and find even in a concentration camp, little moments of true happiness. And the prisoners who didn't do that, the prisoners who kind of just said, this is hopeless, the Nazis have us fucked, I'm going to freeze to death, I'm going to get shot. The ones who could not find purpose, meaning, hope, were the ones who died quickest. Frankl viewed human suffering, right, as a challenge. Do we search for meaning or challenges or purpose in our suffering? Or do we simply complain to ourselves about how awful the suffering is? And he kept going back to a quote by Frederick Nietzsche, which is, if you have a why to live for, you can bear any how. What he, Frankel also started to notice eventually, having you know survived for quite a long time in the concentration camp and, and seeing every day the evidence of his theory of the people that give up hope are the ones that succumbed quicker. What he found was that no matter the suffering, right? No matter what it is, like like forces beyond your control. Like they can take away everything that you possess, right? Except for one thing. The one thing, no matter the circumstances. We always have our freedom to choose how we respond to the situation. And that ultimately is what kept Frankl going. If he could feel his stomach touching his bones... If he felt that today was the day he was going to get beaten to death by a guard. If he had to walk six miles in the freezing snow with other prisoners dying around him so he could dig up a ditch for no reason other than it was work for work's sake. That's what the Nazis wanted. He found great purpose and meaning in the power he had. And the freedom that he had over how he could respond to that. Even though he's digging a ditch in the freezing cold, he still has the power and the choice to say, I can choose to do this with despair, 
or I can choose to find some degree of meaning in digging this fucking hole. I'm starving, but I can find some degree of meaning in trying to find a piece of food. Even if I don't get it, I can find the meaning in that. If I reflect on how terrible it is that I'm digging in the cold or that I can't find bread, I will die. I have power and control over how I react react over whatever happens. And like when we can no longer change the situation, the challenge is to change ourselves. And this Frankel's theory, even though it's 46, it's one of the cornerstones behind cognitive behavioural therapy. And cognitive behavioural therapy basically teaches that we cannot control what happens to us, but we have full control over our attitude towards what happens to us. And negative thoughts lead to negative emotions that lead to negative behaviours. But changing the negative thoughts into flexible thoughts, that leads to flexible kind of emotions and flexible behaviours. Not rigid, negative emotions and behaviours, you know? And with this, Frankel eventually survived long enough in the concentration camp to be liberated and to emigrate to America. And unfortunately, all of his family were killed. He found that out after he left. But with this journey, he was able to bring this fantastic insight into the human condition into modern psychology and I know it's dark as fuck but it's like it doesn't get lower than a concentration camp it doesn't get worse than that and yet from this base level of human suffering there still exists a desire for life and and, and happiness because life if, if your life has meaning and purpose And this is why when we commit ourselves to a goal of any description, big or small, this goal gives us a great sense of meaning and purpose. And in this meaning and purpose we have vitality and moments of happiness and true living. But once that that ends, you're then left with with what's called an existential vacuum, existential anxiety, which we experience as feeling quite drained or feeling unhappy or negative and then a frustrated guilt because there's no good reason for it. The goal has been achieved. What's going on? It's a normal part of the cycle of just being human so that's where I'm kind of going with this if you're feeling that way this week you've worked incredibly hard you've dedicated yourself to something you've built this community you've fucking fought many battles and now you've achieved the goal and on the surface it appears as if it's it's done and I would say to you, you know, wh- where is the meaning and where where do you find your meaning in that? Do you know? 
And I would say it's self-compassion. Find f- this, Have some self-compassion over the fantastic work that you've done. Big or small. Whether you were out canvassing or whether you were simply talking to your fucking grandfather about it. Have a sense of it. Find the meaning in that and build upon the communities of the people that you've met through the organ through through that activism and where can it go from here? Do you know what I mean? And <clears throat> another reason I'm kinda of doing this particular podcast too is a prominent anti choicer who lost the referendum went on a bit of a Twitter spiel the other day uh saying that the repeal the 8th people were inherently kind of unhappy and that they tried to repeal the 8th as a way of finding happiness and it was very mean spirited and shitty because it's quite a clever but highly disingenuous barbed twist on a a given of the human condition and a given of human existence that I've outlined and my podcast is it's kind of a response to it it's like nobody's fucking happy like th- th- this is the thing about th- that failed to address is that life is inevitable suffering I don't give a fuck who you are that is the human condition life is inevitable suffering Okay, death, disappointment, rejection, unfairness, people being mean to you. These are inevitable in every single one of our lives. No exceptions. And happiness is how we as individuals react to the inevitable suffering of simply existing. Do you know? Like, happiness has to be worked on, no matter who you are. And you get that happiness through finding a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose. Like, I'm currently a happy person. You know, generally, for the past few years, my day-to-day living has been, I would experience it as quite happy. Obviously, disappointing things happen. I have moments of sadness. But I'm generally a happy person because I work on it through self-compassion, through compassion for other people and really working on finding my sense of meaning. My sense of meaning, I think, is creativity. If I'm involved in something creative and I'm using my creativity, whether it succeeds or doesn't succeed, if I'm actively creating a lot, then I tend to be happy. I tend to have a general hum of happiness because my life has purpose and meaning. If I decide to do no creativity and go on, a, on a, a run of video games for two months, then I will find myself to feel empty and unhappy. Now you, your meaning could be in playing video games. That could be what brings you fucking happiness. Everyone's meaning and purpose is different. It's unique. We're all complex individuals and our own meaning is personal to us and it's as unique as us as people. Do you know what I'm saying? 
So don't be listening to any fucking idiots who are telling you you're inherently unhappy. My arse. Life is suffering. If we respond to that suffering with the understanding that we have the freedom to respond to it, in that you will find your happiness and give a fuck who you are. This is why I, I always have a message of mindfulness at the end of each podcast. Because what mindfulness does is it forces you to find purpose and meaning in whatever the fuck you're doing right now. You know, whether it's washing dishes, <clears throat> eating a chicken sandwich, or looking at a lot of seagulls. Mindfulness asks you to notice every sensation of what it is you're doing right now in the present moment and loads of people have sent me messages and tweeted at me reporting back to using a little bit of mindfulness in their day in what they were doing um like one fella just said he was on his break at lunch he was eating a sandwich he really made the effort to experience every moment of that sandwich and he's like it felt fucking brilliant because yeah you're in the present moment you gave that sandwich purpose. You weren't worrying about last week or worrying about next week. You were enjoying your chicken sandwich and giving it sense of meaning and purpose and you felt not only satiated in your stomach but spiritually satiated from a chicken sandwich. And that sounds mad but that is human existence. So what I would say to you now, if you're if you're having a shit day, right, for whatever reason, if you're doing something today or right now that isn't particularly enjoyable, you could be stuck in a job that you don't really enjoy and you might want to be outside drinking cans with, with your friends or whatever. You might have to go to a family function, be around someone you don't want to be around, whatever it is, right? Try and find, instead of allowing your mind to focus on only <clears throat> the negatives, only... Going around a cycle of, I don't like this, this is unbearable, I could be doing something else, fuck my life. Instead of this type of internal dialogue, search for purpose and meaning in this painful thing. If you really search for it, you can find it. And within that, you'll find you'll find a contentment that's a hell of a lot better than the stress of telling yourself how shit it is. And it'll go quicker too. So, I hope that was of benefit to you. I hope uh, you were able to take something from it. Everybody, not just the people involved in uh, repeal. And as well, too, one thing I am cautious of. I'm speaking about this from the point of view of being a fucking a male. And I have no context for what it feels like for the eight to be repealed uh for a pregnant person or someone who can get pregnant I haven't a fucking clue so I am taking that on board and I'm aware of that <clears throat> so we're 43 minutes in I think it's time for our delicious ocarina pause the digital angelus um, if you the Acast the app that this podcast goes out on they insert digital adverts in this podcast and you may hear them you may not but what I do is I play my little Spanish clay whistle for a small amount of time. And if you're lucky, you'll hear the whistle and not an advert. You might have noticed as well, occasionally, 
every so often one of my episodes might get a sponsorship and it'll be me like advertising some product for one or one episode or two episodes that ha- that's happened once or twice so you might hear that instead of the ocarina pause but if you have been hearing adverts in this podcast it's because occasionally I'll find a sponsor who'll take me on someone who doesn't have a problem with me saying the word cunt and talking about the IRA so here is the ocarina pause you pricks Also, I'll just quickly take the opportunity to tell you that this podcast is supported by you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. If you enjoy the podcasts, it's about five hours of content a month, and you would like to support me financially, you can give me the equivalent of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. Uh, so please do. And if you don't want to, that's fine absolutely grand you can listen for free I'm appealing to your sense of soundness so we'll move on now to the questions I've got some delicious fresh questions from you Jonathan asks uh, I asked over Twitter too but it's just something that's been bugging me lately where do we draw the line between free speech and hate speech the rapper Valtonic was sentenced to prison for lines like kill a fucking civil guard tonight I understand I understand speaking out against the monarchy but isn't glorifying murder another story? I don't know there. Uh, if you don't know the background to this story, there's a Spanish rapper called Valtonic, and he had some lyrics that were highly critical of the Spanish monarchy, right? And one of them alluded to a rumour that the king of Spain shot his brother because when the king of Spain was uh, very young I think he was dueling with his brother and the brother died and some there's there's a rumour or a conspiracy that it was deliberate a deliberate way to get rid of the brother and I think Valtonic referenced that he also had some lyrics that were explicitly supporting ETA who are like ETA are like the IRA when it comes to the Basque country um, I don't think he deserves fucking jail. I mean, 
would we it'd be like the it would be like the British government <clears throat> jailing the wolf tones for their lyrics against the black and tans you know um there has to be a bit of artistic license I mean NWA getting jailed for fuck the police this rat he's now fled Spain as far as I know this Valtanic chap but I don't think that deserves I mean <clears throat> it's a tough one like w- one of the lyrics that this Valtanic fella has been given a jail sentence for is he says what is it George Campas deserves destruction with a nuclear bomb something to that effect I think George Campas is a politician now that's a direct threat to a living person called George Campas deserves destruction with a nuclear bomb so you need to ask what's the context and intent of that statement Um, is he literally wishing death on someone or is there artistic license in it I mean put it this way Donald Trump has tweeted actual nuclear threats at North Korea and Kim Jong-un. So this lyric that this Spanish rapper is going to jail for, I wish a nuclear bomb on fucking George Campos. Donald Trump did that like two months ago to North Korea in violation of Twitter's rules. Like it's, it's What's the difference between Donald Trump doing that and me doing it to some lad in Carlo? And saying I'm going to go up to Carlo and, and shoot you. I don't. What's the difference you know. It's context and intent. This shit can't be legislated with a black and white rule. I mean the rapper Tyler the Creator. He's not allowed into the UK. Because some of his lyrics when viewed on the page. Are seen as inciting terrorism and violence. But Tyler the Creator is doing it ironically through a character. It, context and, and intent needs to be taken on board. Ice T, the rapper, had a song in 1991 called Cop Killer, which explicitly talks about killing cops. And when Ice T was challenged, he goes, Yeah, this is a, this is a song about rage. This is a, a piece of fiction about rage, like a Stephen King novel or something about that. He was allowed context and intent, and the FBI were coming after him for sedition, which is treason. So, I can't give a black and white answer. All I can say is that each individual case needs to be viewed in terms of its context and its intent and needs to be legislated intelligently and not in a black and white fashion in a rigid fashion you know regarding I don't like it when the state gets involved and when people go to fucking jail the other thing though that I do kind of non-platforming I I am a fan of non-platforming specifically when it comes to people whose views are essentially Nazism under a different name, okay I'd spent half this fucking podcast talking about the concentration camps and people whose views essentially echo Nazism like the biggest act of non-platforming was World War 2 the Nazis lost, the world had to fucking fight these cunts because they wanted to eradicate ethnicities that they considered to be unpure. And when people in today echo those views and try and sanitize them or change the wording around it, I don't have any fucking time for that. Whether they get sent to jail, I don't know about that. For words, I'm not sure about the state getting involved, but non-platforming and 
protesting their their speech i see no problem in that because non-platforming is also an expression of free speech just because you have free speech doesn't mean that people have the freedom to fucking tolerate it you know especially around anything to do with nazism and you can call it fucking alt-right whatever you want but if your goal is fucking like ethno-nationalism or whatever they call it fuck that um, <clears throat> but you might be saying but blind by some of your opinions are quite Marxist and look at what Russia did look at the Soviet Union that's true that's a good point but I mean explicitly explicitly all I want is for my taxes to visibly and explicitly um, pay for free healthcare education housing I don't want housing education and healthcare to be out of bounds of somebody because of their financial situation I don't want to live in that society so socialistically take half my money please via taxes to not you know to make that happen I don't want Soviet fucking communism with a dictator and secret police I do not want that Jennifer asks why do you think humans have a visceral response to music for example minor chords equals anxious or danger or sexy uh, V major chords hopeful or happy or ultimately accepting do you think it is an evolutionary response we just don't understand and the transition between the two leading you to feel um, I I think look it all boils down to our pattern recognition you know humans strive for pattern recognition because I think it's the complexity of our brains to recognise faces to recognise other humans faces and to know who our friends are and who our enemies are so we strive for pattern and music is quite abstract because you can't see it uh, you can't really feel it it just is it's ethereal and it impacts us it makes us feel a certain way but when you think of it like music is is it's as symmetrical as something visual you know when we see a s- symmetrical drawing or a painting you know something that has balance with shapes that are pleasurable we experience that as happy you know we 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 like that we like to see that pattern and music is no different when music is mathematical chord progressions notes that work with each other they are symmetrical if you could visualize them they have a symmetry to them that they make mathematical sense in the exact same way that visual patterns would on a painting or on a drawing so music is symmetrical vibrations of air and again it, it just appeals to our innate desire for balance and patterns we experience patterns balanced patterns that make sense as aesthetically enjoyable and pleasurable and music is no different it's full of patterns and repetition and this predictability gives us pleasure um, it's one of the reasons that bird song keeps us awake because birds when birds sing they have stochastic rhythms they, they're 
bird song does not follow explicit patterns because of that it wakes us up in the morning or it warns us of danger because our brains are continually trying to rationalize and compartmentalize the chaotic irrationality of a bird singing that's what music is really it's the rational rationalization of bird song so that that's what i think it is it, it's the exact same its mechanics aesthetically are no different to visual patterns music is also patterns you just can't see them and it's they're not as tangible but it's there all right that concludes the podcast because we're almost at uh, an hour it's slightly shorter this week because i'm recording this one late it's very fucking late and i want to go to bed um so this is about 10 minutes shorter than usual it, there was a lot to take on board this week, you know, and it wasn't there wasn't a, a, lot, a hell of a lot of jokes, was there? Um, which is ironic because it was essentially a podcast about happiness and how to achieve it. But please take it on board, listen to it, send me questions if you disagree with it, whatever. Don't quote tweet me. Um, live in the present moment. Enjoy, you know, take some of this shit on board. Enjoy your week. Look after yourself. Have some self-compassion. Be sound to other people. You'll be grand. Yart.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 